I believe there's a hero in all of us. You have great powers, only some of which you have yet discovered. I'm a superhero, my A real life superhero. The world needs extraordinary. We will make you a superhero. Are you ready to become the hero? Initiating surprise in three. This two is one. The Real Brian Show. Well, it is official. The time has finally arrived. The interviews are back. We are here to help you become the superhero you are meant to be and reclaim your life and your passions and not apologize for it. Joining me today is Blue Phoenix, who is actually an old friend of mine. He has an incredibly powerful and yet difficult story to share with us today. He's been through a lot in his life, and yet his attitude and response to these challenges is an amazing inspiration on how he's overcome and unleashed his superhero. Let's rock it. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Happy Monday. Welcome to The Real Brian Show. So, my goodness gracious, it is so amazing to be back with these interviews. I said this on an episode, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, that I was like, why did I stop doing these things? I mean, I cannot tell you the joy and the positivity that I get from having these conversations with incredible people, and I can't believe I ever stopped, but there were reasons. There were reasons for taking a hiatus from these interviews, and truthfully, I'm actually glad we did. It gave all of us, including me, an appreciation for the need that we all have to be inspired, empowered, and motivated to take action, to become that superhero we're all meant to be, as well as reclaiming our life and our passions and not apologizing for them. Now, it's kind of funny. So you keep hearing like, well, what? why do you keep saying that? We talked about it, all of this last Friday on episode 209. So, you know, a couple of days ago. And I do say these things very passionately. Become the superhero you're meant to be. This is unleashing your superhero. This means taking care of yourself mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. This also means impacting the world around you for the positive. You have to work at this, by the way. You have to grow into this. You have to be intentional about this. It is a lifelong journey. You can't just happen into becoming a superhero. It just doesn't work that way. So that's why we all need the inspiration, the motivation, and the empowerment to take action. And these episodes will give you that. I also say passionately, reclaim your life and passion and don't apologize for it. This is, yes, unleashing your inner nerd. And what is this all about? What do you mean by reclaiming your life? Every man dies. Now every man really lives. So true. And this is what I'm talking about. We talked about this on Friday that I find a lot of people as they age, as they get a little older, they just kind of don't have that excitement for living anymore. You know, they're just kind of going through the motions. They're existing, but they're not living. So we want to reclaim that zest for life and living. I'm encouraging you to do that. See and look for the beauty in all things. Nerd out on your passions and do not apologize for them, regardless of what they are. Caveat, as long as those things are healthy things meaning that they're good for you and others. You know, we don't want something that's going to be unhealthy. Okay, so that's the only caveat. And of course, the last thing is have fun. This is why we do our Friday episodes. People ask, you know, what's your Friday episodes about? It's to remind each of us to have fun, to nerd out, to talk about the things we love, focus on the positive and the good in this world and feel good afterwards. It's our way of expressing our unleashing of our superheroes and inner nerds. 
It's why I say, unleash your superhero. Become that superhero you are meant to be. And unleash your inner nerd or nerd out, whatever you want to say. It's to reclaim your life and passions and don't apologize for them. All that said, let's rock into our chat with Blue Phoenix. So just a very quick introduction to Blue Phoenix. Like I said, he's a friend of mine. He grew up in a military family, moving around a lot, but eventually settling in Colorado. After high school, he went to Purdue and since then has lived in New England, Las Vegas, now resides in the Carolinas, where he works in the medical field as a project manager, and he enjoys bowling and nerding out on Marvel and Star Wars, among many, many other things, including March Madness, which we'll talk about. Blue Phoenix, welcome to The Real Brian Show. Thank you. How are you doing today? Well, I'm great. How are you, first of all? I'm doing good. Doing good. Feeling good today. Oh, that's good. That's nice, man. I I know you've had some you've had some good days. You've had some bad days. We're gonna get yeah. into that. Glad today's a good. We day. will. Today's a good day. That's good, man. Are you excited for March Madness? You know I am. <laughs> I run my little pool every year. Yeah. And by little, I mean about two hundred people. And so I'm getting my site all ready for the updates and should be good. My team, my team will likely not make it this year. Oh, bummer. But that's okay. They've had a, they've had a good run. Made it to the lead eight last year and then had that heartbreaking loss to Virginia. So, yeah, but with the loss of Carson Edwards and everything like that, and and it's kind of been a rebuilding and a learning year for him. So that game was very shocking. I mean, I remember watching that game last year. There were a lot of shocks last year, but it was a good, I don't know. It was a good season last year. The year before though, first and second rounds of 2018 were some of the most exciting games of basketball I've seen in a long time. And then, And then they kind of died down, you know, once you got into the six, the sweet 16 and the elite eight, it just kind of wasn't as exciting. And then the final four was just kind of okay. Last year, it was the exact opposite. It got more exciting as the tournament went on. And there wasn't a lot of upsets in the first couple of rounds. Yeah. But then there was a lot of tension in the sweet 16 and elite eight rounds. And then I found that the final four now part of it was because my Boilermakers were out, but I found the final four a little less intriguing, even though the last game was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, I like this time of year and some people could care less about basketball. I don't understand that, but (laughs) I'm also strictly a college fan. Sure. Right. I will only watch a little bit of pro ball in the playoffs. And that's only because there isn't college ball to watch. Sure. But college ball throughout the whole season you put a game on TV and I, for the most part, I don't even care the teams and I'll watch them, but I'll of course go out of my way to try to watch Purdue when I can. This year has been one of those years where it's either the whole team's on and we look unbeatable or the whole team's off and a high school team could beat us. So (laughs) there's just really (laughs) no in between. And I think that, and I think that's what's frustrating both as the fans and you know that you know the players are frustrated right they aren't going out there saying well i'm just not going to hit a three today and i'm just going to look like crap so (laughs) i know the players and the coaches are frustrated too and they're a young team so i expect them to get back on track especially next year yeah you know it's funny you said that about uh, csu this year the team usually itself was never really off it was a couple players at a time but the women's team was either on or off 100 percent as as a team and it was bizarre Mm. to watch this year because what's funny is the women's team had a lot of talent and many of them were like incredible athletes incredible basketball players and they just could not win games this year and everybody was just kind of like perplexed like what is going on and it's the same kind of thing like you know i'm a phoenix suns fan i have been because i lived in phoenix that's been my team from the time we met i've known that (laughs) yes exactly well and, and i've never what's funny is i was much more of a hardcore suns fan back in those days than i am now but 
Still a fan, also a Nuggets fan. Nuggets are doing well, but the Suns, the same kind of thing. It's like they have talent. They have a good coach this year. They have a good system and they cannot win games. (laughs) And how do you lose to a team that no one should lose to? I just want to know more about that. And I know part of it's a mind game. Part of it's, you know, are you feeling healthy? Are you doing three back-to-back games? Have you had any sleep or rest? Did you get drunk last night? You know what I mean? Like there's, there's a lot of things that these people probably do that we don't know about, but what causes it? That'd be an interesting little uh, nerd out session someday. And they're understandable more on the college game because you always have to remember, you know, these are college kids. These are 18 to 22 year olds at, at the moldest, right? Yeah. They're still young. You remember when we were that age, we weren't fully mature or grown up, but in the NBA and once you're to that point, you need to realize you're a professional. If you can't get up for a game just because you're having a bad day, that's not as excusable. It happens, <laughs> but it's not It's not as excusable because that's your paycheck, right? Yeah. But still, you're right. These are all young people. Even us, as we've gotten older, we have our good days and we have our bad days. It's just not seen by most people. And we're certainly not in the public eye with it, even certainly not to that extent, right? So... You got to realize they're still human, but at the same time, especially at the pro level, that's kind of what they're paid to avoid. (laughs) Exactly. See, that's my point, too. And that's the you have your bad days and your good days, just like you said. But if you're getting paid to do something and you allow those bad days to like dramatically affect your work in a negative way, that doesn't work well. You either get, you know, reprimands, you get fired. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of things that can happen like that. Now, granted, there's a okay, something significant happened. Sorry, this is going to affect my work a little bit, but I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure it doesn't, but have a little grace for me in this one time period sort of thing. That's Mm. okay, right? But, you know, when you see it going on for year after year or, you know, for an entire year over and over, you start to go, okay, you're letting it affect you too much now. And this goes for anybody. This isn't just professional sports players. This is for anybody. Like, do we allow our personal lives to dramatically negatively impact what we're getting paid to be responsible for. Okay, let's chat a little bit about our connection and then we'll get into, because I I really want to hear your story. It's very inspiring. And of course, you and I have talked a little bit, but I felt very strongly that we needed to share this on the show because there could be someone else dealing with this. A lot more than we might think. That's good to know. Gosh, we've known each other since middle school. I was one grade ahead of you, correct? Yes, you were a grade ahead of me. Um, Did you move to Colorado in sixth grade or in seventh? That's the only thing I couldn't remember. Okay, that's what I thought is that it was sixth grade. I was seventh and we met first through Boy Scouts. Yes. Yeah. And then realized we went to the same middle school. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) that summer, I remember we hung out quite a bit. Yeah. That first summer. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it was like Boy Scouts. We were we were a bunch of, you know, nerdy middle schoolers. Didn't you know the awkward age? Everybody, you know, that's the awkward age. But what's weird is you think you're the only one awkward. (laughs) You think everyone else is so cool and has it together. And you're the only one not knowing what's going on from day to day and feeling picked on by everybody and, and feeling like you're just the biggest loser in the school. And then you find out, especially after the fact that most people, not all, but most people at least felt that to some degree. And you can sit there and try to compare, well, I was I was picked on more than so-and-so and blah, blah, blah. But everyone, you know, there's always the idea of a bigger fish. Everyone had this, someone that kind of picked on them. And yeah. we probably picked on people that we didn't even realize as much as we probably should have because kids just don't think that way. They just kind of live in their own world. 
Yeah. But yeah, we, we, it was definitely that age where it's just, it's tough. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I think we connected, we connected fairly quickly in scouts and then realized we went to the same school. And mm-hmm. I remember I, we'd go over to each other's houses quite yeah. a bit. And, and you were one of the few friends that I did that with. I didn't, you know, I think girls do it more than guys in general, but I didn't find myself going over to friends' houses to play all that often. But you and I were, were often at each other's place. Yeah, it's true. I do remember that. We, we had some good times, man. We, we hung out a lot. Oh, we had fun. I, I do remember like the radio station things. You had to call in for the requests, you know? We would listen to a particular station and we would call in for a request. And then we would sit there for about an hour and a half waiting for that song to play for us. <laughs> Of course, nobody does that anymore. You just get on Spotify and it's like, hey, you don't need to request anything anymore. I just go to Spotify, type it in. I got it. <laughs> I don't yeah. need to wait for two hours. Most of the time we uh, we had our fun. Yeah. Every now and again, just like everyone, we'd probably spend too much time together to be in and we'd get annoyed with each other. But that oh, yeah. always happens. Oh, yeah, for sure. But for the most part, back on that fondly. Yeah. No, those were good times. Then, One it, thing we did have kind of in common at that time was the uh, the French foreign exchange students uh, that came yeah. through. And there were, I don't even remember how many, but it was like, what, about 20 or so, maybe? That yeah, it was about group? 15 that came. 15? So, okay. so at the end of my junior year, about 10 of us from our high school went to France. I had spent three weeks with a family in, in, in Salon de Provence and went to school with them for a little bit, although it was the ending of their school year. So we ended up skipping class more than going to class. <laughs> I didn't know that. And then, and because it was like the last week of school and they already had their marks. And so they weren't caring about school anyway. And then having the excuse of the Americans there just made it easier for them. And then their last two weeks were were summer. And so we would hang out and all of that. I was actually surprised I was able, able to go. Um, I didn't think my parents would let me at first. And when they found out about the option, they were actually all on board with it. So, so I had spent that whole year working, saving my money so I could go and did the thing there. And the way it was set up is one of our French teachers had become friends with an English teacher from this school oh, yeah. in, in that town in France. It wasn't through a national program or anything like that. This was pretty much just an exchange between these two schools. After I had gone, we decided that the next year, so my senior year, we would host. And actually, when I got the list of students, I had seen the name of one. And I honestly thought it was someone who was a friend of the family that I stayed with. I thought I recognized the name because the first name was the same. Mm-hmm. And it turns out it was someone completely different, but that was okay too. So yeah, that group that came and visited us, they were a fun group. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they really were, <laughs> man. A couple quick stories. One that you're involved with, one that you're not. Because you weren't hosting a kid, were you? Yeah, we were. So the the first year we did not, but um that that year that you hosted, you're a French student. We did mm-hmm. have uh yeah, we had a guy stay with us. And you know, okay, this is a funny story. So he got all excited because, you know, he got to come to the States. He was, he was kind of a nerd. It was, it was actually, it was a lot of a nerd. He did not shower. Um, now granted, this is not just nerd culture. This is also somewhat French culture for some of them. Mm-hmm. He did not shower. And in fact, after about like a week or so, cause they stayed with us for what? Two weeks, I think is what it was. Or was it two and a half. I think. Half, yeah. yeah. So it was a little over a week. My mom was like, you need to shower. <laughs> it was so bad. So finally he did, but, he got out and went and bought himself a brand new one gigabyte hard drive. And he was so excited because it was like cutting edge technology. It's a gigabyte. No one has ever seen a gigabyte. My mom, of course, was like, who would ever need that much space? (laughs) Oh my gosh. He was an interesting dude. Didn't really get along with him very well. He was very quiet, kind of um, almost aloof. Uh, Very, very just interesting. You know, not, we tried. Let's put it that way. 
but um, still a nice guy. But the rest of them were really cool. We got to interact with a lot of them. We did a lot of activities together. Fanny, I think was her name. She was fun. You remember her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. She went by Fanny, didn't she? She Yeah, but they called her Fanny. And my mom kept saying, why do they keep calling her funny? I'm like, no, Fanny, Fanny. It's funny. But she was so much fun. She was the the crazy outgoing person. Wasn't yours uh, Marion? Was that the Marion? Yeah, Mm -hmm. that was her name. We met a bunch of other people and then I became friends with one a student called Florence. That was her name. <laughs> Florence was Marion's best friend. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, yes. Well, then I definitely yes. need to see if they're still in touch. But they were best friends because because Florence would actually come over and they would visit and have a good time. But I know that I never thought it was really like serious between you two, but there's um, there's no. definitely a friendly connection between them. And, and we would always <laughs> make fun of the way she would say, I miss you, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she did. It was hilarious. No, it was just a, it was a fun friendship, you know, but yeah, for whatever reason, she and I connected more than many of the other students and she was really cool though. Yeah. I remember that. You know, it's funny because when you brought that up to me, I had forgotten all about that. I miss you, Brian. I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot about that. We connected over Facebook. It's been a few years ago now. I mean, honestly, it was one of those, like we found each other on Facebook and then never talked. You know how that goes? Mm -hmm. It was the 200th episode of the real Brian show. I saw that, you know, she had liked it and I went, oh my gosh, Florence, I did. I just totally forgot we were connected and, you know, I hadn't talked to her in years and all that. And I was like, oh, I got to reach out and see how she's doing. So I did. And she's like, oh yeah, I'm doing great. You know, she's married. She's got kids. She doing very well. So I just thought, good. Oh my gosh, we need, maybe I should get her on the show and do a little fun chat and connection. But I mean, let's be honest. I haven't seen her since my junior year of high school. We really haven't talked. We, we sent letters back and forth quite a bit you know, after they left and then we kept in touch pretty seldomly. But like I said, I haven't even honestly talked to her with the exception of that one message for years. So it was kind of fun to reconnect. And then when you brought her up, I was like, I oh, dude, I just talked to her. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> That's so, great. So you started listening to the real Brian show. Of course we, we got the chat and then you're like, all right, I'm going by blue Phoenix. That's my name, which by the way, you got to explain blue Phoenix really quickly. How did you come up with that? Blue is my favorite color. So that's just simple. And then I went with the Phoenix because through all of my health journey, I have the unique experience of actually suffering from a cardiac arrest, being down for 11 minutes, and then coming back to life. That's it. So I, I figured I raised from the ashes literally like a Phoenix. Yeah. So don't they say that you can be dead for how many minutes? I thought it was four minutes. Obviously, it's more than that. Well, just kind of over the brief synopsis of how that day was going. Yeah. It's funny. I don't remember anything about that day before, during, or after mm-hmm. my actual event. And in fact, I've lost the last three days, the three days after that too. Mm-hmm. It was a fairly stressful day. A lot of things going on, um, both work and, and in, in personal life. I was working for a large hospital in their data center. So primarily technical people, but there are still some clinical nurses that work in there that would support the main EMR. It was going to be a late lunch, I think about 1, 1.30, which I normally don't like to eat that late, but 1, 1.30, and me and one of my coworkers were in the process of walking out of the building. As we were nearing the exit door, I just collapsed. Mm-hmm. From what I'm told, I just fell completely to the floor. It was a hard concrete floor, just boom, nothing. My coworker said he laughed at first because he thought I just tripped Yeah. <laughs> until he realized I wasn't moving and wasn't getting up. So he went quickly. He knew exactly who to go to. Some formal clinical nurses that, again, supported the EMR. And quickly, two of them started CPR on me. And then about a minute later, a third one came in and kind of took over chest compressions 
from what I understand. So this is all just how I'm being told. Yeah. Being in a hospital, they had AEDs, the external defibrillators. They shocked me twice with that. While then the paramedics came, they shot me up with some drug. I don't know, adrenaline, epinephrine. I don't know exactly what. And then they shocked me a third time. And that's what brought my heart back into rhythm. Wow. Everything I've been told, I was down for 11 minutes. But CPR had started right away. So there was still blood going to my brain. Okay. And I guess okay. the, the biggest miracle in it is being down that much is I had either to benefit or, or detriment, depending on who you might ask, I had zero brain damage, <laughs> zero, zero brain function loss. <laughs> wow. Um, so I'm still just as sarcastic. I'm still just as witty. <laughs> I haven't lost a step on the mind. <laughs> nice. Well, that's good. Uh, I can't believe that though. So did they say that was pretty much an impossibility? I don't think it was never thought of as an impossibility, just an improbability. Okay. Okay. But again, they started CPR quick. So, so I'm sure that that's what from a scientific reason, what, what helped it. I mean, sure. From a spiritual reason, it was, it was just, you know, the will. So the way I hit the floor, I was also concussed. Oh, geez. And I guess that left a little bit of confusion too, because when I woke up and I still don't remember this part, but like, so that was on a Wednesday, Thursday. So when I got to the hospital on Wednesday, they put me on what's called cold cool. And so I was in the ICU and that's when they dropped your body temperature down on purpose. Interesting. Um, to save brain function, to help the body recover, whatever. And I think it's like as cold as, you know, normal body temperature is about 98 degrees. They brought it down to like 92, 93. I don't know exactly what, but it's like significantly cooler than anything you would possibly experience. Sure, sure. The next morning, they had brought me out of it because apparently I wasn't reacting well to it. I was fighting it, which I guess meant that I was doing, maybe doing better than they expected. They ran me through all tests. So apparently I had a cath test to see if it was a heart attack. It wasn't. I had an MRI. I had a CAT scan. Don't know any of this. <laughs> mm. uh, apparently didn't like it too much, but I'm not claustrophobic, but apparently whatever I was, I was not happy with what was going on. Friday, apparently I woke up and was asking the same questions over and over and over again. So they didn't know if I was going to be permanent brain damage or not. Mm that that was just the concussion portion. And by the time I actually remember things, it was late that Friday night. Mm, wow. So, so two full and, days really for it to kind of like, okay, now I'm with it. Yeah, it was, wow. it was two full days. I've, I've been moved to my normal room. Mm. Did they ever figure out what caused it? Yeah. They came in and, and told me that I have a rare heart disease. Of course. Called a rare one. Arith- Arrhythmogenic? Yeah, of course it's rare. Yeah. Arrhythmogenic right ventricular dysplasia or cardiomyopathy. So it's okay. ARVD slash ARVC. Okay. Basically, that means the muscle in my heart has too much fatty scar tissue and can prevent the electric signals within the right ventricular. Mm. So again, it's very rare. It's the kind of thing when you hear, it's not always this, but when you hear about, say, like a basketball player who's like 19 or 20 and they just fall flat on the floor in a basketball game and die. Mm-hmm. that could be one of the causes. It's a relatively new diagnosis, only from the 80s. Okay. They don't know a lot about it. And that's why it took them two days to even diagnose it. Johns Hopkins in Maryland is actually one of the few groups that studies it. Went up there about eight months after the, after the event happened. They pretty much said, you're borderline diagnostic for it. It's genetic. We think it's from your dad. <laughs> um, so your dad should get tested. <laughs> yeah. And... And they said, but the only reason why you meet the diagnostic criteria is because you had the arrest. 
Mm. All of your other symptoms are so slight that you would not have been crossed over into the diagnosis without that. Because mm. there are normally symptoms like PVCs, palpitations, those kinds of things that I really don't have. Yeah. My dad got a workup, diagnosed it with him too. Also a fairly minor, minor case, stronger than mine because they were able to get him diagnosed even without any kind of arrest. Mm. So for me, since I've had a rest, I actually have an interior defibrillator. Like a, it's, it's a pacemaker too, but it will defibrillate my heart if it were to ever stop again, mm. which thankfully it hasn't. Yeah. And then I take a beta blocker to, to try to keep my heart rate low. It's one of the few hard, heart diseases where I have to limit my exercise. Never, not that I was ever hugely athletic, mm-hmm. but I can't swim laps anymore. I can't run. I do enjoy bowling and golf. I'm perfectly allowed to do those. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy with that. Uh, the doctor at Johns Hopkins pretty much put it this way. They, he said, if I ever have the desire to run a marathon. Don't. <laughs> no, even better than that. Go oh. and take a nap until the desire subsides. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. That's interesting. So, but at that time, he was just pretty much like, I think this will be a blip on your radar. Mm. I don't expect your device to ever go off. And it hasn't. But it's there as a precaution. We'll keep it monitored. Since it is genetic, we will want to monitor your kids. Yeah. They, they didn't run me through a full battery of genetic testing and my dad. And unfortunately, the genes that they know cause it didn't show up in either of our profile, but they're still learning about the disease. Sure, so, sure. you know, it's possible that mine goes into a pool and they find out that, oh, oh this gene also can point to it. Right. Because they only had they only had a couple that had abnormal genes of indeterminate significance. So it's something they'll that they'll put on their watch list, but there's nothing clear cut that says, oh, yep, you have that gene. Your dad has that gene that's there. Yeah. So we won't do genetic testing on the kids yet because there's nothing to definitively rule them in or out. Sure. So they just sure. get, they just get monitored and, you know, it's just going to be kind of part of their, part of their life. It, we had, we don't have to limit what their activity is at this point or anything like that, but we make sure that, that they get watched. But for you, it sounded like stress was the main cause for that one moment. Correct. Stress, yeah. stress added to it. And so it was always, it was probably one of those things that was underlying. And then the stress of the day just kind of put me over the hump for, mm-hmm. for, for me to get an, an arrest event. So yeah. when the Johns Hopkins med met me, one of the first things he said after he'd looked at my review and looked at everything, he's like, so what was going on that day? Yeah. <laughs> so he totally, he totally knew it before I said a word that something happened on that day that actually yep. caused the trigger. Yeah, but the problem is, is once you have it once, you're more susceptible to having more uh, events. So it was good to it was good to still get ahead of it and everything like that. Yeah, because so. you can manage your life appropriately now, which is good too. So the hard thing has become a blip. That's on good. My, yeah, I'm glad. But the downtime associated with it <laughs> apparently killed my kidneys, and that's where things are now. Wait, so because so, you couldn't do any activity or or what? Oh, because of the actual downtime associated with the arrest. Oh, you mean the, oh my gosh. So the 11 minutes. Yeah. The shock, the shock of the arrest and I'm, and I'm diabetic too. So there's a little bit of diabetic damage. Sure. Sure. But most of it, the rapid decline they believe is from the downtime of the rest. So even though they were able to do CPR and save my brain function, the shock of that ended up putting my kidneys into failure. Oh my gosh. And it was, it was a decline from, you know, the, the arrest happened about four years ago. Mm-hmm. And then about two years ago, I started getting monitored for, for kidney function. And no matter what they would do, no matter what meds they changed me on, no matter how things would change, that decline just continued. And they went into pretty much total renal failure mm. about a year ago. I remember that. And yeah. I'm on a list at my local hospital for transplant. Once they determined that, you know, there's no coming back for them. 
was to get transplanted before dialysis. I was kind of hopeful for that too. The decline ended up happening so rapidly and we, and we ended up not getting ahead of it, unfortunately. Mm. I was slowly not feeling as good, but mm. not realizing it. Like if you, if you think about things and you think and, and you see things, you're like, no, I'm still handling it. No, I'm still managing it. Yeah, everything's okay. You know, yeah, I'm not as, I'm, I don't feel horrible, but it's such a slow decline that you don't realize how bad you, you're starting to feel and, and even starting to look to other people. But it had gotten to the point where, okay, yeah, we're not going to get transplant immediately. We need to prepare you for dialysis. And then and wow. the primary way to prepare for it, um, my proteins were so low. So, so there are two types of dialysis. There's hemodialysis, which is needles in your, in your arm or, or through a port, pretty much takes your blood out of your body, cleans it, puts your blood back into your body. Then there's peritoneal, which is kind of a bag a fluid or, or fluid kind of into your stomach abdomen region sits there overnight and then you drain it and it and it drains out the toxins with it to do home dialysis as best as we could mm-hmm. for my protein levels your protein levels had to be high enough to even do the peritoneal so i had i was going to be starting on hemo dialysis to begin with and once we found out that there was actually home hemo that you could do we felt that it was best for us just to stick with that so even though now that I've been on dialysis, I, my protein levels are high enough. Didn't want a separate access, didn't want a separate surgery or anything like that. So from the start, they do a surgery on my arm to create what's called a, a fistula. And what that does is it loops the artery into the vein, making the vein strong, like a superhero vein, to be, all, to be honest. Mm-hmm. That was a surgery there. And then it takes months, a couple of months for that to get mature enough to be able to handle dialysis. And during that time last year, so my surgery was around the February time frame, so about a year ago now, and then waiting until pretty much the beginning of May for it to be ready and, and healthy enough to do dialysis. And in that time, boy, Brian, I was starting to feel bad. And, sure. and even the last month of it, that last March and April before I started my training for, for home dialysis was I would wake up in the morning, I would come downstairs, I would work for my house and I would not go back upstairs until it was time to go to bed because I just could not go up and down the stairs. I had so wow. much fluid buildup and, and everything. And then even within the first couple of weeks of dialysis, I'm like, oh, I'm feeling better. And then I would look back. I'm like, wow, I was really bad. Mm. <laughs> I was worse than I thought I was. Yeah. <laughs> How was I living like that? <laughs> yeah. It's a burden. I won't doubt that at all. It's Right now, I'm down to four days a week, which is nice instead of five. Mm-hmm. Um, which is common for for home hemo, but from the time we start priming the machine through three and a half hours of treatment mm-hmm. and the time to hold pressure on on these sites because they're putting large needle you know it's two large needles into me every time, so you have to hold pressure afterwards. There's mm-hmm. a takedown. So from start to finish, a, a treatment's about five hours worth of work. Oh my gosh, so four days a, a week, twenty hours. It's a part time job just among just wow. to do that. Yeah, you're not kidding. So I know it's a burden. Yeah. But I, f- I feel so much better and it's so, and I'm able to be more involved with everything going on <laughs> that right now it's worth it and I can keep on holding on until the right transplant comes about. We've had a couple of close calls. I've had a couple of friends that filled out the forms to be a living donor. Living donation is something that's not really known about, but it's very important. So I've had a couple of people go through it and pretty much get all the way right up to the end and then get denied on the last minute. And so, and that's kind of been a little bit heartbreaking, but I also know that when it's the right one, it'll be the right one. And then I'm also on the list for a deceased kidney, but that can be a three to five year wait in most cases. 
a living donation, it's it's an option for people who who want to do it. You don't even have to match the person that you're trying to donate to because they have what's called the donor swap. If person A matches to person B, person B has a donor that matches to person A, they can they can do swaps like that. So there are there are a lot of options for those who want who want to donate and I understand it. They are very very mindful of the donor. Mm-hmm. And so they go through as much tests as you can possibly go through blood tests. They did cat scans, you know, if if someone's going to be a donor, they have to make sure that it's going to be perfect and that it's not going to hurt the donor in the long run, which is good. So I understand, you know, them both getting pretty far along and getting denied, but it yeah. still can be frustrating. But it, again, and since I've been on dialysis and feel better with it, you know, that's a small, that's a small price to pay sure. to still be here. Like you said, three to five years is pretty normal to get a donor, but my area, mm-hmm. is there any kind of a like time frame that it has to be done or can you be on dialysis for the rest of your life? I mean, I know it's annoying, but I'm just curious, like I'm very compliant, mm-hmm. so I can probably last on dialysis a lot more than others. Okay. <laughs> if you're not compliant and you let your body kind of get back into that thing, then then dialysis will start to lose its effectiveness and, and okay. you can damage your fistula and things like that. Okay. So we're compliant. We haven't missed a single treatment. The only thing we did is, you know, I was doing so well on five days a week. We just asked to move down to four days a week, mainly as a scheduling thing. Sure. And they said, yep, try it. All of my lab numbers have been okay. So we've been able to keep it. If my lab numbers were to kind of start going bad and they tell us to go back up to five, we'd go back up to five. Sure. I like the home hemo, not only because I don't have to go somewhere, but in center dialysis is much harder on the body. Mm-hmm. They treat you three days a week. They're pulling a lot of fluid off of you. You feel horrible for about a day and a half, and then it's time to go back. Oh, wow. Uh, for me, I sometimes feel a little bit tired afterwards, but never so much that I can't be involved in things. So it wears me out a little bit, but not. It's, it's definitely a more flat, mm-hmm. a flat way of being, where, where as opposed to having wide ranges of ups and downs for in center. But you know what I'm really surprised about? I mean, I've been through my share of, of injuries and, you know, unfortunate low probability scenarios. You know, I I've been through the, the rare situations as well. You know, the 5% of the 5% chance sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I understand what it's like to go through something. That's just like, why <laughs> and how, how is this pot? Why did this happen? How is this? You know what I mean? But what I'm surprised about though, is that your First of all, you said you're compliant, which, yes, that is very rare, by the way. Not a lot of patients are good patients. And I know this is not easy. I mean, the fact that you're dealing with 20-ish hours a week of this kind of stuff, having to deal with it, not feeling well all the time. Of course, you're not happy about this. You're not having a great time. But somehow, you have a good spirit. Somehow, you're able to deal with this in a way that I don't think most people could or would. How and by the way, you you know this because you listen to the show. We do call this the unleashing of the superhero. First of all, I'm sure you don't treat your, you know, the medical professionals that that come over and do the work. I'm sure you don't treat them like crap. I'm sure you treat them very well and very respectfully. It's my wife, so I don't really have a choice. Oh well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, that could be the worst because we treat those that we love the most sometimes the worst. You know, we shouldn't, but sometimes we do. I feel like through this process, you've been better than most, if that makes sense. So mm. I'm just curious, like how you've, how you've dealt with this, how you've overcome this in your mind, you know, from the mental and emotional side of things, that story. Cause I mean, you're still in the process. You have not found a donor yet. You know, you're still going, you've got to, you got to find somebody hopefully sooner than later. So what's, what's strange for me is most people hear about 
things and and you would think and even i would recognize the fault in it too right my epiphany moment probably should have been after my cardiac arrest right oh wow life is short yeah yeah (laughs) right i could have died i did die but for whatever reason that didn't really change anything for me Mm. interiorly like i understand it i i cognizantly know everything that happened and could have happened but i really didn't I guess, look at it as an, oh, wow, I value life now, right? Sure. I always have, but not, it didn't change. Right before I went on dialysis was like the worst I've ever felt. And I would be consciously knowing that I was feeling bad. And so as the kidneys failed and as I was starting to get into dialysis and starting to go through the process of trying to get on listed and getting a donor, it was kind of around then that I've more been like, wow, yeah, Mm. let's make the most of it. Yeah, good. <laughs> you know, let's let's be there. Let's be there for the kids. Let's let's try to enjoy now. You know, doing home dialysis it makes travel itself a little bit less likely because it's hard to travel with the supplies and everything like that. But we can still do like a weekend trip here and there and sports things and their tournaments and stuff like that. I'm able to go to all of those and I and I enjoy them more. The unleashing of it for me was the awakening was with the the kidney failure more so than with the heart failure, which that's the part that that interests me the most. I mean, I. I still, I've always been a pleasant person. At least I try to be. I've always felt I've had a decent attitude and, and, and I don't think I lost that, but I gained it more with the kidney failure more so than the heart. Yeah. But I think, it, I think a lot of it, Brian, is people's dispositions. Yeah. We by default are positive people mm-hmm. for the most part. Mm-hmm. We can be grumpy mm-hmm. with things that get us grumpy and we can, of course. we have our moments, we have our days, we all do. But as our disposition, we try to be positive and that's just our natural thing and so i think we have the blessing of being able to handle some of these things with a little bit more kind of rolling with the flow because that's the way we do it we roll with the flow with anything Mm -hmm. oh this is just another thing this is just another speed bump in my course of life you're you're right disposition personality i tend to be a more i think we both do we both tend to be a more happy-go-lucky type of person I think we're just more positive in general. We'd like to be more positive. There are other people who their disposition may not be quite as happy, go lucky and positive, but there's no such thing as a person who says, well, I was born negative. (laughs) I just, I believe negativity is a full on choice, just like positivity. So, you know, one of the things that I love about having these conversations and hearing these stories is I hope it's a reminder to each and every one of us, not that, wow, you know, this person's life is so much worse than mine. I should be happy. No, not like that because everybody has their issues. Regardless, we all deal with our own things and in our own ways, those hurt us. I really want these episodes to get people to kind of take a step back and say, you know, life may be hard for me too. You know, we just got to hear your story, Spencer. I can't imagine going through what you've gone through. You're dealing with it in an incredibly positive way, even though it sucks. And I want other people to go, I need to deal with my problems in an incredibly positive way, even though it sucks. Dispositions do play a factor into that, but I truly believe that anyone, regardless of their personality or disposition, can overcome being negative about something that sucks. Absolutely. Honestly, I can't imagine going through what you've gone through. And I think that, you know, just goes back to how do you unleash your superhero? And um, I feel like you're doing that. And I'm, I'm really honestly very surprised at how much hope you have. But then again, I'm not, you know what I mean? Like I'm not surprised because I know you and you're someone who, who has that level of hope. And 
I want to encourage you to keep having that hope because it's going to happen. You just got to find the right donor and hopefully somebody can step up and say, Hey, I, I, I've got this. I'm, I'm willing to help and I can like I'm a match, you know, and, and whether yeah. that's a living donor or ends up being a, a deceased donor, then, yeah, you know, living donor Asians better. They tend, those kidneys tend to last longer and me being so young. Yeah. I want one to last as long as possible to avoid having to have a future transplant, but it is, it is likely that I would need a future, a future one as well. So how long are they which expected can, to last? Donor kidney has an average lifetime of about 20 years. Okay. And a deceased one, the general ballpark average they say is, is, is eight to 10, but they can last up to 20 if it's, if it's a good match and doesn't reject at all. And sure. you take care of it and everything like that. So some of it's a potluck. I mean, they can, they, you can be a perfect match and you, I could still reject the kidney and it may not last at all. Um, there can be, so there's a lot of wide range in that, but those are the kind of the, the averages that they say is that, you know, a living donor will last about twice as long as a, as a deceased donor because it hasn't had that time to kind of go into its own shock. Sure. That makes sense. They are okay. looking at in a couple of places, an artificial kidney. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. It's so early on. I don't even think they're anywhere close to human trials anywhere. And, and right now, even when they do start opening up human trials, they're only going to do it for people who don't have any kind of transplant at all. So by the time they would be ready for it, I would hopefully already have a transplant. So okay. I don't, I don't see myself a candidate for that. Sure. It's good but to I know they're working on though. Yeah, I do. I think there's a research group in Tennessee and then I've heard about another one, I think in California that are both looking into possible artificial kidney. Just quickly, the other, the other thing that I've learned throughout all this is how much the kidney actually does. Oh you, my gosh. Right? You grow up and you think, well, it makes you pee. <laughs> <laughs> I've been tracked for about, for about a year and a half at this point. A little bit of frustration, but it was also soothing at the time. My normal doctor wasn't there. And so I was seeing the actual, actual the, the nurse practitioner, the PA, and she's looking through my chart and she says, oh, I see you're anemic. I'm like, yeah, I've been anemic since my cardiac arrest. They even sent me to a hematologist and they had no clue what it was. So I'm just kind of dealing with it. And she just looks at me and she's like, oh, I know why. <laughs> okay. The kidneys tell the bone marrow to produce red blood cells. I'm like, what? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm like, well, one, that's cool. But two, why haven't I been told this in the last two years? Yeah. Um, so that's just even another thing that no one really thinks about what they do. So they tell the bone marrow to produce the red blood cells for your, for your blood cell count. They obviously process lots of toxins like the liver does. And then, of course, they, they process through the fluid through your body to keep that from being excessive. And, and by the time I started dialysis, I had 30 pounds of fluid on me oh my that gosh. needed to be processed out so my it was causing my blood pressure to be high because that gets into the that's all in the blood vessels so it was constricting my blood vessels it was making me look fat it was making my legs look chubby you know in harry potter he accidentally makes his aunt balloon up yeah that's how i felt <laughs> oh yeah that was uh, azkaban but yes <laughs> azkaban okay interesting though <laughs> wow well i you know i'm sorry you're having to deal with this man and i as you know i'm a huge star trek fan so it's like i think back to star trek 4 you know, when they came back to 1986 from the future and stuff, and I always got a kick out of this, but you know, the whole, there's this woman, you know, do you remember that? Have you, you've seen all those, right? All the Star Treks? Oh yeah. Most of them. Okay. So Star Trek four, you know, they're in, they're in the hospital in 1986 and there's this woman moaning and laying in bed and he's like, what's the matter with you? You know, Dr. McCoy, what's the matter with you? Kidney dialysis. Dialysis. My God, what is this? The dark ages here. You swallow that. And if you have any problems, just call me. And then she swallows the pill, and like the next scene, they're wheeling her out. Stop 
functional. Fully functional. <laughs> Just like, oh, how I wish the technology had gotten that far. Because, you know, for them to say dialysis was the dark ages in, quote, 1986, and here we are in 2020, it's like, sadly, we haven't made that many advances on that. And I really, really hope that this whole artificial kidney and some of the stuff that they are working on can actually come to fruition sooner than later. And I would, too, right? Because I've got I've got the defibrillator. You put an artificial kidney in there. I'm totally bionic. Dude, I'm Darth Darth Vader. Yes. I'm not going to be calling you Blue Phoenix anymore. We'll be calling you Dark Phoenix. That's it. I'd be more machine than man. That's just the dream. Yeah. Dark Phoenix, Darth Phoenix. I like Dark. Well, you know, if you go Dark Phoenix, you'd have to become full on evil. Yeah. And that's X-Men. And so, you know, that's that's the part of the MC. That's the part of Marvel we can forget about, please. (laughs) Hey, it wasn't that. Everybody hated it. I I actually didn't mind it. But hey, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) I know it wasn't as good, but hey. Well, I'll tell you what. If any of you want to reach out, and chat with Spencer about this. Maybe you're dealing with this or you know someone that is and you just, you know, have some questions. You never know, right? I'm just throwing this out. Maybe you're just like, I'll be a donor. I'll find out. Crazier things have happened, man. I'm not kidding. There have been people who have literally done things like that out of the blue and said, I'd love to donate. Let me see if I'm a fit. I'm throwing that out. If anybody has any kind of interest in any of this stuff, being a donor, chatting in general, maybe you have questions and you want Spencer to help you out. Go to the Facebook group. TRBS Facebook group. If you have not joined the Real Brian Show Facebook group, the link is in the show notes. And so you can just go there. Just go to realbrianshow.com. You'll find the link in the show notes for all of that. You can even type in the Real Brian Show Facebook group in, or I guess it's just Real Brian Show in Facebook. And yeah, look it up, but join us and uh, feel free to chat with Blue Phoenix. But man, I, I really hope you find a donor soon and I appreciate you sharing your story. It's honestly, it's amazing. I think part of, part of the joy of just talking with you was hearing how you've dealt with this through your, your just your vocal inflection. You know, you don't even really need to say a lot of words about it. I could tell somehow while this sucks, you're also okay. Yeah. And I will be. That's right. And I'd love to come back and tell you how things are, are going. Yes. That's the thing you'll, well, the next time you come on too, we'll have to have you on just to kind of hang out with us on a Friday and nerd out on, you know, some of the random stuff, but I look forward to, to hearing the success story and the victory story of, Hey, here I am hundred percent now. Plus we need to get you in touch with Mario. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll practice some French and uh, go from there, but blue Phoenix. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate you being on the show. I, you know, thanks Thank for you. sharing this. I know we could go on a lot longer. I'm sure we could. Yeah. And we'll have you back to hear your victory story and to hear updates. And again, we'll have to have you on for a Friday show. Sounds like a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening. I am again, I'm so glad to be back with these interviews. These are going to become a staple and a regular here at the real Brian show. They always have been, but we're back from our hiatus and we're having fun. Now I want to encourage you once again, that if you or anyone, you know, has dealt with anything, maybe it's regarding a heart issue or kidney issues or anything like that. Reach out to blue Phoenix, chat with him go to the real Brian show Facebook group. That's going to be the best way to chat with him. If you want to do that, if you are not already a part of the real Brian show Facebook group, the link will be in the show notes. That's at real slash two ten. Just look down on the links. It'll say the real Brian show TRBS Facebook group. Feel free to do it. Request to join. I'll approve you get in there. Talk with blue Phoenix, but also if you or someone, you know, is interested in being a kidney donor, let him know. I mean, there's a whole process to find out if this is even a match, but seriously, people like Spencer 
They need help. They need this. They need people to step up and help out. If you know of anyone or if you're someone who's interested in this, contact him, please. Spencer slash Blue Phoenix Facebook group, The Real Brian Show. All right. You know what the music means. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. I'm just so happy to be back. So Wednesday, you know, we're still reviewing Star Trek Picard. We'll do that. Uh, There's only a few more episodes left. That's our TRB reviews episodes. We're doing that for fun right now. So check us out there. And then, of course, on Friday, we will be, uh, you know, back for another regular Friday show having some fun. So thank you again for joining us. Have a great rest of your day. The Real Brian Show is signing off. The Real Brian Show is a production of 514 Media at 514mediaempire.com.